You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, all right. Well, hey guys, good morning. Great to be with you guys. My name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor here at the church and uh, back at it. So I've been gone the last couple of weeks. Hope you enjoyed the guest preachers. They do a pretty good job. Yeah, you can give them a round of applause. Um, so hey, um, I just got back from Pagosa Springs. Ever, anybody ever been there before? Wolf Creek. Uh, so got uh, here's a picture of my family. We had a couple of weeks up there. And I ended up being able to ski. First, my uh, daughter uh, was sick, little Maya Bear, and, um, then, and then I got sick. And so I was in Pagosa Springs in a, in a hotel, probably the sickest I've ever been for two days, just knocked out. I told Leslie, my wife, I said, just take me to the hospital, I'll feel better. Uh, that's how bad I felt. But, you know, uh, God, God was gracious to give me strength to get over it. I don't know what it was. Uh, I know many people have been sick, but uh, we got to have a great time. Here's my old man and my wife and my kids, and we just had an awesome time. And so that was a lot of fun. I put little Maya Bear into the ski school, so she uh, was a wolf pup. That's what they call them at Wolf Creek, little wolf pup. She's amazing. She's six years old, doing, doing an incredible job. And, you know, she was fighting being sick, and, and she just kept saying, I want to go back out, Dad. I want to go back out. I really want to go back out. And, uh, she was sick, and so, uh, but anyway, this is what she looked like when she was in the lodge. She just passed out, just passed out. There's so much commotion going on, and then Maya's just like knocked out. Another picture I have, I can't show it to you today. Her mouth is wide open, and what's funny is the door is right there by her feet, so everybody that walked in got to see that, so, um, and I looked like that too in the hotel for a couple of days, and thankfully, we don't have any pictures of those, um, but, you know, this morning what I wanted to do is tell you a story about a family uh, from the book of Ruth. Um, you know, as, as we kind of look at a culture in American culture and family, you might think, uh, you know, TV shows throughout the years, you remember the Beverly Hillbillies, or maybe you remember the Adams Family or the Brady Bunch or the Simpsons or Full House or the Modern Family. Um, this morning as we're looking at the pages of Scripture, uh, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Ruth. Ruth chapter 1 is where we're going to be over the next five weeks. Uh, Ruth is uh, the protagonist of the story. She's a, a, Mo- a Moabite gal who is going to end up being uh, an incredible figure uh, that's going to be the protagonist of the story. And sh- the story of Ruth is kind of like the Cinderella story of the Old Testament. Um, what we're going to see today is this, the story and the struggle of, of the family, some bad decisions that are made, and then yet God in his providence is going to uh, take bad circumstances and situations and use them for his good and for his glory. Uh, building relationships that last, the best relationship that we're going to see is that God's covenant loyalty, his kindness towards this family to preserve and to protect them despite any decision that they make that's going to go bad. Um, The relationship that lasts, the best relationship that's going to last for eternity is a relationship that we can have with uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, We're going to see in the pages of Scripture as we unfold it, God's love for this family and how he's going to use this family uh, to preserve and protect it. But they're going to go through incredible hardship. And there's going to be some necessary endings that are going to need to take place so that there can be a 
a brand new beginning. Some of you today, uh, uh, as we're coming in today, you need to think about, as we get into this, placing your self into the storyline of this story that we're going to be working through over the next five weeks. So let me uh, pray, and then we'll um, jump into the text. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. We pray that it would re- uh, renew us, revive us, Lord, uh, give us uh, motivation and inspiration to live according to your design, uh, Lord, that we might take these truths, apply them in our lives to better glorify you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Starting out, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man, and a man, named, uh, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Let me stop right there for a moment. It, the book starts with kind of setting the scene. In the days of the judges, these are the worst days. If you were to flip over just one page in your Bible, the very last phrase in the book of Judges says that, and there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It was a time of moral and spiritual, political decay, where God's people there in Israel uh, had kind of, uh, they've rebelled against God. God's made promises for these individuals. This is a thousand years before the time of Christ. God is establishing the uh, nation of Israel. Uh, he's made promises to these individuals that God would bless them, and we see a season of rebellion. We see them pay the consequences of that rebellion, and then there's repentance, and then there's this cycle of restoration. Again and again, these are the days of the judges. And this period of time went on for a long time, and it's a tough time, to say the least. It says, in the days of the judges uh, ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is ultimately, as we've learned, coming out of Christmas, was the birthplace of Jesus Christ. Um, Ruth is going to be a great ancestor of Jesus Christ. She's going to be one of the protagonists in the story, three kind of main characters in the book of Ruth. You're going to have Naomi, you're going to have Ruth, and then you're going to have a gentleman by the name of Boaz, which I'll introduce to you as we kind of work through this text. Bethlehem was a place that was a fertile place place, it meant the name was uh, uh, um, the house of bread. And it literally described kind of that the fields were fertile and the orchards were fertile. But the scripture says here, in this time, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. First of all, that's a bad idea. For anybody to leave Bethlehem, uh, we're going to see is is, uh, rejecting God's plan and purpose Uh, For them, they were to, this was the land that Joshua had conquered and succeeded. This is the the promised land, and they are there, and the famine strikes, but this man leaves Bethlehem, and we're going to see that he is going to take his family on a very dangerous trajectory. It says, in Judah, they went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malion and Kilion. So let me tell you about the family's names for a moment. It is interesting enough, Elimelech means, uh, his name means God is king. He had a great name. Imagine that. That's your name. God is king. Everywhere you go, God is king. Uh, that's, a, that's a powerful name, Elimelech. 
And it means God is king. But what's interesting, he has the right name, but he has the wrong actions. He's going to do some terrible decision-making, and it's going to cost his, he and his family everything. Elimelech, uh, maybe he was a, 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 a believer, but he was kind of halfway in, half-hearted believer. Uh, he may have grown up as a believer and had a spiritual heritage, but it wasn't genuine and real for him. His name is God is King, which is interesting. Uh, his wife's name, Naomi, is, means pleasant. She's a pleasant person. Um, oftentimes when people receive names, they receive names because there's some kind of spiritual significance. You know, we've got, I've got friends, they name their children these wonderful names, and uh, Gideon, Nehemiah, you know, uh, these wonderful names that have real spiritual significance, and that's important. But what's interesting is what Elimelech does. The name Malon and Kilion. Malon means literally sickly or sicko. Let me give you a piece of advice. If you have children, you're thinking about naming names, don't name them Malon or Kilion. Kilion means crybaby. So maybe Elimelech, you know, was kind of a jokester, prankster, you know. he names them these names. I, I was thinking, why in the world would he name them that? Well, maybe he's a little honest, though, because, you know, if you've walked into and seen a baby being born in the afterbirth and all the little white mucus and all that stuff, you're kind of just like, it can be overwhelming, right? Uh, I remember when my kids were born, I, I you know, I come from uh, Arkansas. I was born in Dallas, grew up in Arkansas. Uh, I had a, just a country buddy. His name was Sam, is who I named my son after. He stopped me right before I went into the room to see the children, and he said, Ryan, you just got to stop right here. He said, have you seen the children? I said, no. He said, what you're about to see could be very disturbing. And I said, Sam, they're my kids. I got to go see them. And he said, have you ever gutted a deer? And I said, yes, I have. He goes, it's worse than that. I walk in, and literally, I, I went flush white, and the nurse had to kind of revive me, and my wife's like, I'm the one having the baby here. This is not about you. Uh, Elimelech, interestingly enough, uh, maybe, you know, Malon was just, uh, he was a weak child. He did what didn't do well, or he thought it was gross. Uh, the name literally means sickly or weakly. Kilion means crybaby. Maybe he cried a lot. This is a family. This is a family we're telling a story about. Uh, We will, over the next five weeks, see what God's going to do in this family. Naomi's going to rise. She's going to suffer the consequences of bad leadership in the family, and she's going to make some important decisions. So this is what happens. Uh, They were Ephratites. And this would have been, they were very uh, affluent. Uh, They had... Uh, this was a very important tribe in the nation of Israel. It would have been something like the Rockefellers. If I said that in American culture, you know that family is important. Uh, they were Ephraites, how, how you like how to pronounce that, from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. Moab was not a, a, an ally with the nation of Israel. It was a hostile relationship. And it was a very bad decision for Elimelech to try to move his family from Bethlehem, the house of bread, God's promised land, to Moab. Verse 3, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. 
he dies. And she was left with her two sons. So there's Malon and Kilion left. And verse 4, these took Moabite wives, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. Taking Moabite wives actually wasn't prohibited under um, the law, the Old Testament law, but it was prohibited to have a Canaanite wife. But Moabite women were very beautiful, but they did not follow Yahweh, the Lord. And so this was a, a bad move on the end uh, at the, for, for the sons. They're marrying unbelievers. Um, for you single people, just for a moment, let me remind you of the great importance the greatest marriages that exist today are when two people of the same faith come together and marry one another. When you have two people from different faith backgrounds coming together, different religions, it, statistically, it's the hardest and most difficult marriages. These two sons make that decision. They're not going to marry um, Israelites. They're going to marry Moabites. Yet God in his providence is going to use it in an incredible way. They took Moabite wives, and the name of one was Orpah, not Oprah. But interesting enough, wiki this, this is the biblical name whereby was the inspiration of a young teenage mom back in Mississippi named Oprah Winfrey. And she named her daughter this, and it's interesting to me, it's not like her storyline's all that great, Orpah, but what happened was, was with Oprah, nobody could pronounce Orpah, so they called her Oprah little trivia for you. Fact checkers, you can go to work. These two, they took the Moabite wives. The names of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived about there 10 years. Not a good idea. It was supposed to be a short stint back in, in, in Moab, and it turned into 10 years. You ever made a decision and thought, well, I'm just going to do this for a little bit until I get myself back on my feet? 10 years later. Here's where we find Naomi. And both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Here she is. One bad decision maker leads the whole family from Bethlehem, God's promised land, to a podunk town, Moab, 50 miles away across the Dead Sea, and into a land where it's not flowing with milk and honey, but it's paganistic. There's people that are not serving the Lord. Moabites were... Uh, people that worshipped um, different gods, and it was not at all what had God had planned and per, uh, purposed for their life. First thing that we see problems that stress the family is the problems from a cultural of relativism. It's exactly what they were facing in their day. The Bible says in Judges that there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. That's exactly where we are in American culture today. But here's what you need to know. Despite the cultural chaos that Naomi was facing and the family was facing in that time, God's plans and purposes are always greater. In today's culture, despite any political, any moral, any kind of a, a, a social a di disintegration that may be going on, may seem that way, what we have is God's promises and plan that the church will continue on. That's his family. It will continue on. The Bible says that the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. What we see is that there's this problem of cultural relativism. Uh, it was in the days of the judges, and it stresses the family so much that they end up moving to Moab. 
There's also the problem of a, from a down economy. Many of you have been hit with hard times in the economy. And it can stress the family. This is what happened with them. They were, they were, in, Beth, they were in Bethlehem. A famine had hit. Um, their crops weren't yielding uh, the fruit. And so there was a, a struggle, a significant struggle. And they end up making a poor decision in the midst of a hard time. There's problems from personal choices. This is perhaps one of the most important for us to understand when problems stress out our family, that we don't blame everybody else and all the other circumstances, but we look at the personal choices and the problems that we got ourselves into. Let me point out to you Elimelech's problem, his downfall as a husband and a father. Guys, those of you that are married, this is where you ought to pay real close attention. The first thing is we see is that he disobeyed a direct command from God. The plan was is that God had promised land and to stay in that land and to serve the Lord in that land. And when hard times hit, he left. Secondly, he devalued his spiritual heritage. It wasn't like he was just a, some little small town farmer. This was deep spiritual roots that God's promise and plan was on uh, Israel. And Bethlehem would be a significant city where ultimately the Lord Jesus would be born. He exposed his family to great temptation and danger. His sons went off and married unbelievers, following other gods, and there's a, there's a trouble that has hit. What's interesting to me is that uh, there needs to be a break. Naomi's going to rise up, and she's going to make a clear break from the past. Here's what one author said about the importance of ending a different uh, uh, relationships with people in the past. This is what the author, Dr. Henry Cloud, says. There are times in life where we need to have a clear ending with a person or a place so that we can heal up and move into a new season. That's exactly what we're going to see Naomi do. She's going to say goodbye to Moab. She's going to say goodbye to the people there. She's going to say goodbye to the, the, to the place there. Verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law in return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. In other words, that the famine was over, finally, in Bethlehem. That's her hometown. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as, he, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Naomi makes a plea with her daughters that they would return to the mother's house back in Moab. It's not exactly the best, I think, godly counsel that this uh, mother-in-law has towards her daughter-in-laws because Moab is not a, a believing community in the Lord. Um, but she says that because she thinks, well, you know what? Uh, these two young ladies whom I love, they just lost their husbands and the best place possibly for them to be is to go back to their mom and maybe they can find a new man and be remarried and have a life. In order for a woman to excel in this culture that we're looking at, um, they needed to be married to a, a man, uh, a, a man potentially that has uh, resources and capability. Um, Orphans and widows were the most vulnerable people in society at this time. And so she urges them that she, to stay in Moab and she's going to stay, she's going to go on to Bethlehem. Verse 9, 
It says, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them and lifted up uh, their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. So there's an argument going on. They're mourning the process of losing their husbands. They're mourning the process of uh, needing to leave. And she wants them to, 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 to stay in Moab. And she called, they say, no, we're going to return with you. Verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Verse 12, if I should say I have hope, even if I have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? And the answer is no way. Uh, there's, she's saying, in other words, I don't have anything for you. I've, my, I've lost my husbands. My two sons are gone. You're better off in Moab. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So, Ruth is the one that's going to stick close to Naomi. And Ruth is going to become the, the protagonist of the storyline in the book of Ruth. Um, it is, um, we're going to see Ruth um, and Naomi's relationship blossom. It's important to note that, you know, for the, the, this uh, relationship, that Orpah really is not to be looked down upon for staying in Moab. I mean, she made a decision. That's where her family was from. They had been there 10 years, married 10 years. She loses her husband, and she's going to stay. But what is extraordinary is Ruth's faith and commitment. And it's really a foreshadowing of the faith and the commitment that Jesus Christ has to us, is that it's a covenantal love. It's his kindness towards us. That despite anything that we're going through, God's commitment is to be with us. Naomi is going to make a plan, though, to move away from her problems of the past. So this is what we see. Naomi says goodbye to places of the past. Naomi says goodbye to people of the past. And Naomi says hello to a new beginning. In order for you to move on, there needs to be a season of, to make change is to say goodbye to places of the past or potentially people of the past. We tend to think that uh, we have unlimited power, unlimited energy, unlimited resources. And in, sometimes in order to move ahead, we've got to end things. What Naomi's going to do is she's saying goodbye to Moab. She's saying goodbye to the people of Moab. And she's saying hello to a new beginning. It's interesting to me too is that she blames God for the problem when things go wrong. And really, the blame should have been upon her husband and herself. But how many of us are like that? When something goes wrong, we want to blame God rather than look at our own self. Naomi says goodbye to the places of the past. She says goodbye to people of the past. And she says hello to a new beginning. Here's what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said. He says, great is the art of the beginning, but greater is the art of the ending. 
Sometimes things need to end and for greater things to begin. There needs to be an ending at times in our lives and understanding that we need to say goodbye to some things in order to say hello to other things. Verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return uh, from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts from me, from me, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. These are perhaps one of the most famous uh, lines in uh, historical literature about uh, covenantal commitment that she makes to Naomi. She makes these promises. Ruth promises to Naomi, number one, to be present in her life. Wherever you go, I'll go. Uh, I'll be with you. Through the hardship, through the, thin, through the thick and the thin, I'll, I'll be there. It's a promise to just to be present. Sometimes in the midst of a hardship as a pastor, I don't know what to do when I visit people that have experienced incredible loss or experience somebody that has some a tragic situation. And what I've learned over the years is just the ministry of being present is some of the most important ministry we can do. And, and what Ruth does is she promises, hey, wherever you go, I'll go. Continually, it's looking at the promises in that those famous uh, verses right there. Is she also makes a promise to be part of the family. Your people will be my people. I, I, I want to be with you. She's making a distinctive change from the past to the moving towards the future. And then lastly, she makes a promise that to be part of the faith. She says, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. This is Ruth's conversion moment where she's not worshiping many gods, but now she's worshiping the one true living God. And Naomi is taken back and says, okay, we'll go together then. What's important for you to understand is that God's made a promise for you. No matter what kind of hardship that you're going through, God has made a promise on your life that he'll be present with you in no matter what kind of circumstance you find yourself in. You may find yourself facing a, a, a kind of the worst case scenario in your marriage or in your business or in your situation uh, at work or whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you need to hear the promises. Ruth is a foreshadowing of the work of Jesus Christ. God's promises to you is to be personally present in your life. No matter what you're going through, he promises to be there. The third person of the Trinity is the, uh, the Holy Spirit, the very present helper in the midst of it. God promises as well that he offers his extraordinary power in your life. The power that you need to get through whatever you're going through is a power that you do not possess. It is a power from high. It is the power of Christ. The Bible says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in you in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. There's an extraordinary power that is necessary for you, and you need to hear this promise. God's promises for you also is to give you a purpose for your life. What we're going to see 
in building relationships that last is that God's kindness, the Hebrew word is hesed. It's a loyal covenant commitment for his people that will always go with them no matter where they go. The relationship that lasts is the relationship that Naomi and Ruth are finding in their Lord. Verse 19, so they're going to set out. They're saying goodbye to the old places, bye to the old people, and hello to a new beginning. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. Bethlehem was their hometown. It was the hometown of Naomi. For Ruth, this would have been a challenge. She's a Moabite. She'd have been uh, discriminated against very likely just because of her ethnicity. She is a a historical enemy of the nation of Israel. Um, And she's in Bethlehem. But that's where she wants to be because she loves Naomi. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And look what happens as soon as they get there. People are talking about this situation. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town, the Bible says, was stirred because of them. Bethlehem wasn't that big of a town, but gossip spreads fast. I don't think Naomi made a Facebook post and said, hey, we're moving back. But word got out. Uh, Bethlehem and Moab was actually about 50 miles in distance from one another. But they'd been gone 10 years. And there would have been a rumor that went out that Naomi, this wonderful, beautiful gal, left Bethlehem with a foolish husband going to Moab, the land of their enemies, and to escape the famine, and yet 10 years later, they're there. And Naomi comes back, she's got no husband, she's got no sons, and she's got a Moabite daughter-in-law. That, that, that is some interesting news for little town of Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred, and the women said, is this Naomi? And the word Naomi means pleasant, but look what, how she sees herself in verse 20. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. The word Mara means uh, bitter one. Before Naomi can get better, she's got to deal with her bitterness. She's upset. And I love the honesty of Scripture. And honesty is honestly one of the greatest pathways to healing. You've got to deal with your own brokenness and hurt in order to get right. She says, why don't you just call me Mara? Look what she says. She's going to put the blame right on God right away. I, I don't think that's right theology for her to do that. I think she should have blamed her husband and should have blamed herself. But nonetheless, Scripture is truthful. Verse 20, she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. At least she's honest. She's empty. And at least she made a decision to turn from her past, leaving Moab, a godless place, foolish decisions, She didn't stand up for herself and tell her husband, no way, this is a bad idea. She goes anyway, and she loses her husband. She loses her her kids. And now she, instead of blaming her husband and herself, she blames the Lord. And she says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Sometimes it's good to get to rock bottom. Being at rock bottom means at least you know where the bottom is. And at least you know that, you know what? In the midst of that, She still says he's almighty, though. He's almighty. The theme that we're going to see in this series, Building Relationships That Last, that God is almighty and he supersedes all circumstances. 
and he'll take bad and use it for good. She says, uh, why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It was harvest time. It was a good time. It was harvest time. There was... There was land flowing with milk and honey once again back in Bethlehem. This would have been the best time to show up. It would have been March or April. And there would have, the, the fields would be ripe. The orchards would be full. And it was a beautiful time to come back. And she's excited to be there. But she's still dealing with the hurt from the past. I like what Dr. Henry Cloud says in a book called Necessary Endings. Uh, he says this, many people wish for a different universe than the one in which we live. Isn't that true? We can complain all the time about the universe that we live in and wish for something else. And part of that is in woven into the heart of everybody is that you long for heaven. Earth is not our home. But l- listen to what he says. He says, they want one where every day is harvest time. And there are no long, laborious summer months to go through in order to get there. And when the harvest is ripe and they're thriving, they want, approaching win- they want no approaching winters where they see that the harvest is over and the cold death is looming. There's a reality that we need to understand if we're going to move forward um, in a pathway to hope and healing. Uh, if you're not in a, in a place of uh, trial or hardship right now, uh, you'll go through one. Uh, this is what you need to understand, that life is experienced in seasons. There's a season and a cycle. Uh, Naomi began to understand this, and she didn't try to escalate the process. She's still bitter. She's still upset. She said, call me Mara. Uh, There's a a sadness to her soul that she's going to be honest about. In hardship and in struggle, You need to understand that there's seasons. Maybe for some of you, you need to say goodbye to a person because it's a harmful, hurtful relationship. Maybe for some of you, there's a project that's been weighing you down and it's going to destroy and deteriorate your family and your faith if you don't let it go. Maybe for some of you, there's something of the past that's bothering you and weighing you down and you sense that you do need to say goodbye maybe to a person or to a place and you can look back on life and see that God brings seasons in your life. One of the challenging things that I face as a pastor here at North Valley in Phoenix is seeing all the people come and go with the transient culture of Phoenix. Where I'm from in Little Rock, people move into that community and stay a whole lifetime. And they, build, they buy land and they build properties with all their family and all their friends. And there's generations of families connected. What I've learned to understand is that there's a seasons in life. And people come into my life and people go. God will give and God can take away. Everything we have is a gift and he brings things in seasons and times. The world we live in is not one constant season of harvest time. If you think in that mentality, you'll be constantly and perpetually disappointed, discouraged, depressed. Naomi's there, and she's at least honest about it. But God's going to use Ruth in her life to help her through the season. 
Second thing, in order to move forward on the pathway to hope and healing, is that we need to understand that healing comes by experiencing God's presence. Nobody can heal you more than the presence of Christ. What Naomi longed for was her soul was deprived of biblical teaching. Uh, She had left the people of God and the place of God, and she had gone into a foreign culture where they worshiped many gods. She needed to be back in the presence of God. Her soul is going to be revived here. She's going to be restored and renewed. Some of you have taken a distant, faraway journey away from God, and stepping back into the presence of God is the most healing thing you'll ever do. Being in the presence of God is accessible 24-7. We have the Holy Spirit. You can petition Him and say, Heavenly Father, I need to experience Your presence in an extraordinary way today because I'm feeling discouraged or I'm feeling depressed And the presence of the Holy Spirit is your healing agent. The Bible says is that he's the helper. He's a healer. And so when we come forward and see what Naomi's doing, she's making some good moves. Actually, that word return, when she returns from from Moab to Bethlehem, the same word return is used to describe the word repentance. She's turning away from a sinful uh, broken past that has no promise and no future, she stops and she goes into a totally new direction. She's returning. This is the prodigal family. The family that's finally going to come home. Even though it's been broken down, God's going to use it in incredible ways. They need to get back to experiencing God's presence. And lastly, pathway to hope and healing comes by living in community with God's people. She needed to be home. She needed to come into that place where there can be a pathway for hope and healing for her to be back with God's people. She'd been in a foreign land far too long, distance of people that were not believers, and now she's coming back to a place where it's important community. I want to encourage you, for those of you that are not in a neighborhood group, to really consider being a part of a a believing community of people to do life with, to experience the presence of, and the people of God more and more in your life. So here's a question I want to ask you to think about this week. What needs to end so something better can begin? Is there something in your life that needs to end so that something better can begin? You can't say yes to everything. You might have committed yourself to something or someone in some situation, and you're finding out it's damaging, destructive, it's hurtful, it's wrong. I want to encourage you to be with God's people. I want to encourage you to be in the presence of God. I want to encourage you to realize that things come and go in seasons. I want to encourage you to walk through this and ask the question, uh, what needs to end so that something better can begin? I want to share with you a story of a young gal in our church uh, who said goodbye to an old life and said hello to a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Watch this. from a family with uh, multiple addictions um, and was able to start drinking and doing drugs at a young age. Um, I think that it was just that it was okay. I I was 12 years old the first time that my dad let me start drinking. I was 15 when I got placed with a family and um, that family too was very verbally abusive. Well, I definitely didn't feel loved by anyone because I felt like um, just 
kind of like thrown away because you know like my dad didn't care um, family members didn't care and when I went to the group home, nobody, you know, nobody cared. Nobody thought of calling me or checking up on me or seeing how I was doing, any of that. They just let me go. I started going to North Valley. I actually had tried out a couple different churches before we found North Valley. And so I prayed to receive Christ and kept coming, got baptized, decided to get baptized. I'd never been baptized before, so that was an amazing moment in my life. I'm a better person than I used to be. I'm, I don't turn to alcohol. Now I turn to God. Now I don't have the anxiety that I used to have. I pray and it goes away. He, he does fill me with a peace and a joy that I've never experienced before. Let's celebrate that. That's so cool. <clears throat> Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, that you're a covenant maker and a covenant keeper. Thank you for your uh, kindness towards us in, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray for all those that profess faith in Jesus Christ today. God, might they say goodbye to some things in their life so that they can say hello to a, a better future with you. Whatever those things are that need to end, God, would you give them the faith and the courage and the commitment to move forward? Might you give them faith and courage, Lord, for everybody here today to be honest about any hurt, struggle, hardship, and Lord, uh, turn from any sin and turn towards you. And for anyone here today that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and wants to start one, hear me on this, is that the Bible says that we are all sin, that we all struggle and we all sin, and that if we turn away from our sin and look to Jesus Christ as the forgiver of sin, that we experience forgiveness, restoration, and a relationship that really lasts. And today, I want to invite any of you that uh, want to just pray to start a relationship with Jesus Christ, to pray silently with me now. Heavenly Father, I turn from my sin. And I look to you, Jesus Christ, to forgive me of my sin. I thank you that you are the Son of God. You're the living Lord. And I confess you today as Lord of my life. Believe in my heart that you have been raised from the dead and live. Might you be the king over my whole life. I submit to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Hey, let's celebrate what God's doing at North Valley. Yeah. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.